I have a piano in our living room that we had as, a, as kids, and uh, it's a beautiful sounding piano. It is rich, it's deep, and even though it's, uh, it's an upright piano, it has such a great sound, and it's a bit therapeutic for me to sit down and to play uh, piano and just to sing or to thank or to worship. And, of course, most of the songs that I play uh, are worship songs from, like, the 80s and 90s. I'm stuck in that arena only because that's when I grew up and I learned those songs. And, and uh, so a lot of them are like that. But one of the songs that I play more than any other is, is that song, It Is Well With My Soul. I play the older version, but that's the chorus. It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. And it, it came from a man who was in deep grief who was singing because he wrote the song, his family had died on a ship, and they took him to the place where his family, the ship sank, and his family died, and he then wrote the words of this song. Uh, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So no matter what you're facing, no matter what the circumstances around you are, the song reminds us that, God, you take care of what's most important. What's inside, you take care of our soul. You take care of the inner part of us, no matter what is swirling around us or what we face. And this series, But God has been all about that, has been all about how do we focus on what's most important and and how do we find those but God moments in our life. And we appreciate Herbert Cooper who uh, developed this series and he has become one of our favorite, Josh and my favorite preachers. Uh, He's African American and so when he preaches these messages, these but God messages, he does it with a little more oomph, I think. I think it does help him, though, that the crowd talks back to him a little more than what you all talk back to me. I don't know. It's not. It could happen. It can happen. But today I want to talk to you about we don't have enough, but God provides. There have been times in my life when I felt like I didn't have enough. Some of those times it was because of my own lack of planning or budgeting. Some of those times were because we faced unexpected hardships. And some of those times it was because uh, we bought something we couldn't afford. And I think a lot of people feel like they don't have enough today. 55% of people in America worry about finances every day. 90% of the crime that is committed in America is committed for money. 89% of divorces list as their primary cause finance-related issues. There is trouble when it comes to our resources. The average household today has 13 credit, debit, or debit or revolving type of uh, cards or payments. And this stat is the one that got me the most. 96% of us, when we retire, we will be dependent on either the government or charity or our family or some combination of the three. It is one of the top reasons for stress. And so I think we have to see what does God say to us about His provision for us. And we've been there before, and if you haven't, you will be. Some of you can relate. And perhaps a spouse out of nowhere passed away, and you had to deal with the outcome of that. Or maybe you got laid off from a job, or the car engine blew up, or the economy uh, took a downturn. 
Nobody ever taught you how to plan your finances or to budget, and so you didn't really learn that, and so you faced the challenges of resources. And we can find ourselves in such a, a place that we feel trapped, we feel like things are hopeless, we feel like the struggles we cannot overcome, stress levels are sky high, married couples fight, crime increases, people become addicts, and the list go on and on. And what I want to do to you for you today is to help you find, if you find yourself in a financial situation, is to remind you the powerful biblical truth that while we don't have enough, but God provides. And we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 17. And if you have your Bible, or if you have your Bible app, you want to look there, or you can look on the side screens here. And the first principle is, when you don't have enough, don't give up. And there's this little story in 1 Kings 17 about a prophet named Elijah and a single mother who didn't have enough, or she didn't think she did. It said, Elijah, he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? He was going to, as she was going to get that, he called and said, and bring, bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's how desperate she was. Her husband had passed away. The town is in a famine and it had been an extended famine. She literally did not have anything but a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. That's all she had. And so Elijah says, go make a piece of bread. And she says, I really don't have anything. Her situation looks totally hopeless. In fact, so much so, she's despairing of life. This is going to be our last meal. And I want to take care of my son, my child, but I don't know. I'm going to give him this meal, but very likely that we'll die after this. That's how desperate she was. Well, I want you to know that while she was broke, she was not a quitter. This lady was not going to give up because here we see her. She's got that little bit of flour, that little bit of oil, but where is she? She's out gathering sticks at the town gate so that she can bring them home and still make that meal. Even though she didn't have very much, she still had the, the gumption to get out and to work and to get those sticks. And she went with the very last day, and uh, when she went, God did something greater. She met a prophet named Elijah. Listen, because she did not give up, she had something greater happen in her life. Things were just about to change for her. And friends, your financial situation may look hopeless, but I want to encourage you, go grab some sticks. Don't give up because you only have a little flour and you only have a little oil, but go do something. Go gather some sticks. I, one of, I have a couple pet peeves in life. Um, it is not people on the road, believe it or not. It is entitlement mentality. That drives me crazy. And when I hear people come and say, oh, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. I don't have very much. And I just can't get a job or I can't do this. Uh, I just try to speak a little truth into their life, you know. You can do it. You can do it. Don't make excuses. Don't blame other people. Just take the energy and the effort of what you do have and go do something productive with your time. And say, well, I don't have very much. Well, go take what you do have. My first job, and I'm not talking about when I was mowing lawns. My first job, I was uh, 12 years old, 
and we lived right next door to Mount Healthy Christian Home. My dad administrated the home, and so uh, we were living there on the property. And so there were about 200 or so residents and then all the employees. And then behind that was the Standard Publishing Company, and they had all their employees over there. So I put up flyers. And on the flyers it said, bring your car over next door to this location, drive it in at this time, and I'll wash your car. And at the end of the day, come back, walk back over, and it'll be all ready for you. And that's what they did. And and even residents of the home would come over and drive their car, and I would wash their car for them. And this worked all the way through high school. Now, I had other jobs, but this job definitely provided more than any other job. Because eventually it became a detailing job. And I was making 21, 30 eventually dollars. And it took me about an hour and a half. I could detail out a whole car, steam clean the engine and everything, have it all polished and ready for them. At the end of the day, they would come back and get their car. Now listen, guys, I only had a little bit of water and a sponge and a little bit of soap. But how many of you know God provided? It gave me just enough to take the girlfriend out on the weekend. Amen? You know, God provides. God provides. What I want to say to you is, you have more ability than you think you do. And I know some of you are like, well, I don't know if I have what it takes, but you can do it. Don't quit. It is never over. As long as you're still breathing, it is not over. Go gather some sticks. I've seen too many people quit too soon. They face a little bit of adversity. They face a little setback, and they find themselves in a financial hole, and they quit. They make excuses. They say, somebody else makes more than I do, or somebody has a better job than I do. They have no, no, no excuses. Don't quit. Some people blame other people. My mom, my dad, my wife, my husband, my kids, they take all my money. Don't quit. Go gather some sticks. And I love this lady's heart, and God's miracle was just about to happen for her. So number one, make sure that you're still working. Don't quit. Number two, focus on what you have. 1 Kings 17, verse 12, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. This single mom said, I don't have bread, but I do have a little flour and I do have a little oil. And she didn't have bread, she told the truth, but she had just a little bit. This lady focused not on what she didn't have, but on what she did have. And focusing on what you don't have is not going to change anything in your life. It is useless to focus on what you all don't have. You will never be successful by looking at somebody else and saying, I don't have what they have. That's our tendency. We look at our neighbors and we see what they have. Our tendency is to look at our coworkers, see what they have. Look at our family, our friends, see what they have. Breakthroughs are not going to come for those who look at what they don't have. It comes for those who look and see what they do have. What has God already provided? And here's a principle. Friends, you have everything you need right now to be all that God wants you to be right now. Whatever God wants you to be right now, he's giving you the resources and the ability to do what you need to do. And that would have been a great place to say, amen, brother. Preach. Preach it. See, see, it'd be better if you talk back, I'm telling you. Focus on what you have. You say, well, I don't have $100. That's all right. Do you have 10 Focus on what you have. I don't have a great job. Well, you do have legs. Walk and get another one. Fill out some applications. Focus on what you have. I don't have a car to drive. Well, take the couple bucks and take a bus. You don't, I don't have any money to go eat a meal, but you might have peanut butter and bread at home. 
How many of you lived on ramen noodles in college? You know what I'm talking about. Well, you will survive. Thank you. You will survive. Now, you don't own it. You say, well, I don't own a home. But do you have, do you have a roof over your head? Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Uh, several years ago, when we got ready to start Access Church, our house in Westchester was not selling. Finally, it sold at the last possible minute. We owned a piece of land we thought we were going to build on. That didn't end up happening, so that was up for sale as well. I said, well, where are we going to live? Well, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. My, my brother and, and his wife said, hey, come live with us. And so we took our four kids and we moved into their house with them. And then their three kids were there, and in the middle of that, they had another one. And so now their four kids and our four kids, and all of us are all together in the same house. Uh, the plan was that our kids would live in the bedrooms with their kids. What ended up happening was we had built this little area down in their unfinished basement with sheets. Uh, sheets for walls. It was like a 12 by 12 area. And uh, most of our kids ended up in that area. And we had a great time together as a family. For five months, we lived there. And one time when I was a little bit discouraged and I was in the bedroom upstairs because our financing wasn't going through on this house that we were trying to buy, and, and uh, I was feeling discouraged. Uh, my brother came in, Jonathan came in and looked at me very seriously, and he gave me a speech. It was a pregame speech. It was one of those, you need to get it together, right, kind of speeches. And he gave me this line, Stephen, don't worry, your well is not dry. You have more resources than what you know. And I want to say to you all, your well is not dry. Focus on what you have. Don't focus on what you don't have. If you find yourself in a financial situation, don't be discouraged. Don't quit and focus on what you have. Number three, be generous where you are. Verse 13 says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Notice, Elijah, the prophet of God, said, You think you don't have very much. I want you to go ahead and make bread for me first, then make bread for you and your son. And when you do that, God will provide. And this single mother, think about this. She already thought, we don't have enough, I can barely make bread at all, and after this, we're out of resources, and we're going to die. And Elijah the prophet said, God told me to tell you, hey, make bread for me first, and then after that, make bread for yourself, and this jar of flour and this jar of oil will not run dry. It was a matter of trust. God told her to be generous when? Not when she was in prosperity. He said, be generous when you're in the middle of a crisis, because it is when you're in the middle of the crisis that you are trusting God. It's in the middle of the crisis that you are relying on God. And one of the keys to experiencing but God provision is to put God first in your finances now. Now, I only have a little oil. I only have a little flour. Put God first now. I don't have very much. We'll go ahead and put God first now. And when you do, he promises when you trust him, he will provide. Now, Herbert Cooper gave three generosity breakthrough principles that I want to share with you. If you want to write these down, the first one is generosity begins with what you have now. 
God told this broke single mother to give first. Why? Because generosity begins with what you have now. And I know there are a lot of people who make this mistake. They say, I will be generous when? And then fill in the blank. I'll be generous when I get a raise. I'll be generous when I have more. I'll be generous when I have a new job. And that's when they're tempted to think that. But friends, it is statistically proven that more, the more people make, the less they give. Because the number might grow, but the percentage gets less. And for whatever reason, they rely less on God the more that we have. That's not universal, but statistically it bears out. They think that they are generous because they say, well, now I'm giving more. But the truth is they also make more. And here's the principle. If you're not generous with little, you, not, will, you will not be generous with much. So as your resources grow, if you are not generous when you have little, you will not be generous with much. And I have seen this borne out as I've traveled to different countries. And I've traveled especially to, to, to deprived countries, third world countries like St. Vincent, like Guyana, South America, like El Salvador. And I see individuals in communities like that who do not, literally, they do not have much at all. And yet they are still willing to give and to be generous. I have been the recipient of that generosity. When women from that town will come together and take everything that they have, and they will make a meal. And when I'm talking about a meal, it is a delicious meal with pupusas, and they'll have rice, and they'll have meat and vegetables in there. And what I learned is that takes about a week of their earnings to feed those of us who are there visiting and all the families that are there, they, feel the, they, feel, they feed the missionaries first, and then they feed all these families. They feed themselves last. And I've been the recipient of that kind of generosity because generosity is a heart condition, not a bank account condition. Generosity begins with what you have, even if it's only a small amount. And one of the ways that we're generous to the Lord is to, is to make sure that we are giving back to Him regularly. Because it's not a bank account issue, it's a heart condition. Generosity principle number two is give to God first. Give to God first. Notice that Elijah told this lady, you make bread for yourself and then, I mean for us, and then make it for yourself and your son. Because it's a matter of trust. And he's saying when you trust that God's going to provide, God will provide for you. And Lisa and I have seen this borne out in our life. Um, Even when we were first married and we made a commitment long ago that we were going to put God first in our giving. We understood the Old Testament principle of giving back 10%, and so we made that commitment. And there have been many occasions where we felt like God led us to give more than that. Um, we had a building campaign years ago in a, in a church that we served in Dayton, and, and uh, we were newly married. We just had two kids, and they said, well, we need to make commitments. And, and so we made a, a $7,800 commitment to the, the campaign, and that was a big deal for us then. And and, uh, and then right after that, actually soon after that, God called us to a different ministry. And people ask us, the leadership even said, are you all going to keep your commitment? You don't need to. You're on to another thing. You don't need to keep that commitment. But we kept that commitment because we felt like number, we made it between us and the Lord, not between us and the church, but us and the Lord. A few years later, we had another building campaign at the next church we were at, and it was a much bigger campaign. In fact, it was a, it was a $2 million building campaign. The church was really growing, and, and, and we had kind of planned, and our planning said, if every family would give, on average, $15,000 over three years more than what they give today um, total, then, then what would happen is we would pay cash for this thing. 
But I really felt like God was leading us as a leadership, my wife and I, to if we're going to set that bar, we need to set it high. And so we need to give 30000 this campaign over this three years. Now, that was a really big deal for us. We had no idea how it was going to happen. And I went to Lisa and I said, I think this is what God is leading me to give. So that sounds good. And, uh, but soon after that, we had a financial crisis. And I went back to Lisa. And it was a big financial crisis. And in fact, we made an investment that went bad. And we ended up having to pay more for that investment than we did for our own house per month. Well, that's how big it was. And I went back to Lisa and I said, you know what? We didn't go public with this. So we didn't tell anybody this. This is just me thinking this, right? So maybe let's just go back to the 15 that we're asking everybody else to give. I think that'd be a good idea, right? And she goes, um, no. If that's what God wanted us to give prior to the crisis, that's what we need to give despite the crisis. Amen. Come on. See, that was a good spot right there. That was a good spot right there. And uh, so that's what we did. Now, it took us a while. But at the end of that three-year commitment, uh, we were able at the end of it to, to make that commitment and to keep that commitment. And God has honored those things in our lives. And that's come back to us time and time again. And, and you can never outgive God. I certainly have learned that. That's why we give on the first day of the week or the first day of the month or the first part of the month because you want it to be uh, faithful with what God said, that we're giving first to Him, that it's a priority. Give to God first. And I love this lady because she trusted God's kingdom before she trusted in her kingdom. And it was a key to her breakthrough. Now, another generosity principle is generosity opens the door for God's provision. Verse 13 says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do what you have said, but first make that bread for me. Then look what it says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Said you don't have enough, but God will provide if you honor him, if you put God first. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. God says, I want everybody to put me first. If you want a breakthrough, you've got to trust in Him. So if you're in a financial hole, don't give up. Focus on what you do have. Be generous where you are. And number four, when you don't have enough, just obey. 1 Kings 17 verse 15 says, she went away and did as Elijah told her. And again, think about this situation. The single mother who only had enough for one meal did what Elijah the prophet told her to do. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word, the Lord had spoken to Elijah. And every day she returned to that jar. And every day it was just as filled as it had been the day before. God did not provide jar after jar after jar. He provided enough for the day. And said, now you got enough for this day. And it was filled. The next day she wakes up and says, look at that. The jar's all filled up again. And they use that, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Here's what I know from the Word of God and from personal experience. Not only can you not outgive God, but when you trust God, God returns blessing to you. Thank you. Proverbs 24, 11, 24. It's almost uncomfortable because we're not used to it. All right, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Proverbs eleven twenty four, where God says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another man withholds unduly 
and comes the poverty. Give, and it will be given to you. And one of my favorite illustrations, I've told you guys before, it's one of my favorite illustrations about giving. Happened many, many years ago. It happened when our oldest son, Benjamin, was two or three years old. And uh, now he's 21 years old, so this has been quite a while ago. But Benjamin and I were out together. We were having a little father-son outing. He was about two or three, and just me and him, and a daddy-son time. And he said, Dad, I'm hungry. So I got him a package of Skittles, because how many of you know that's what we dads do when our kids are hungry, right? And uh, thank you. And Mom, you know, Mama, she'd have got him a salad, but made him eat a salad. But I got him some Skittles, and I... As he's eating those Skittles, I'm, he's back in his car seat, and suddenly I had a hankering for some Skittles, and I said, Benjamin, could I have a Skittle? Now, to his credit, he said, okay, and he gave me, I said, uh, I said uh, he gave me one Skittle. I said, okay, that's nice, but suddenly I had a hankering for a little bit more Skittles, and I said, could I have a couple Skittles? And you know what he said, two, three years old? No. He said, no, you cannot have any more of my Skittles. I'm like, I was a little offended. He had a whole package of Skittles. Now, Benjamin did not understand a couple of things. One, if I wanted to, I could forcibly have taken that package of Skittles from his little two-year-old hands. I am much bigger than he is. Number two, he didn't understand that I was the one who bought those Skittles in the first place. It was not his money. It was my money that provided. I gave to him. And number three, he did not understand that if I wanted to, I could have pulled out a $100 bill and I could have rained Skittles down on his little two-year-old hiney and it just could have poured. There's, there could have been so much Skittles that there would not have been enough room to hold all those Skittles. And, uh, and it would have just been given to him. And, uh, but he didn't give. And I say, well, wait a minute. And I think when we come to God sometimes, some of you, I know God has provided you a small pile of Skittles. You look at that thing and you go, well, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'll trust you, God. I'm going to give you that. God just says, just give me the first part of it. And when you do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. And some of you, you have medium piles of Skittles and you're feeling pretty comfortable. And some of you, you have big honking piles of Skittles. And the tendency is that when we have that, we think, I'm just, God, I'm going to take care of this. And God's like, there's a couple things you don't know. I could take that from you. There's another thing you don't know is that I gave you that in the first place. I provided for you. And what you also don't realize is that when you trust me, remember the principle, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together, and running over. This is God's economy. God promises that when we trust him, he provides and so I'm just saying, don't ever give up. If you're in a financial crisis, don't ever give up. Keep working. Keep striving. Keep looking for ways. Keep being creative. Don't give up. Give God what you have. Use what you have. Don't think about what you don't have. Think about what you do have. And then make sure that you're putting God first and then you obey Him. Just obey. And even when we don't understand it, even when we don't know what's going to happen, just obey God and trust Him. Now, there are times when even when we do that, there are additional challenges that happen. Sometimes people feel like, well, that means I'm never going to have any problem. If you read the rest of this story, which we're not going to do today, but if you read the rest of the story from Elijah, you want to know what happens. This woman, actually, her son ends up dying, and she gets a little bit angry. How could you provide for us? 
and then take his life. What she also didn't realize, even in that moment, that God was going to provide a greater miracle because God, through Elijah, raised this son from the dead, and there was even greater blessing upon blessing in her life. And so I know that sometimes you look at it and say, I I don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen, God. Or, God, I gave, and now I'm struggling. Listen, I've just learned in my life that the cumulative effect of my life is the more I trust God, the better I'm doing. The more I trust God, the more that I'm having faith in Him, the better, the, the more that God provides for my life over and over again. So be faithful to Him. I want to pray for you. God, thank you so much today for the Word of God. Thank you that it is well with our soul, that that's most important, that we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, God, as we, as we, as we trust in your provision for us. And God, I pray that those who are struggling today, and maybe they're, they're struggling with a provision that's not financial, maybe some other thing. They need, they need your comfort. They need your wisdom. They need your strength in some area. Maybe, God, they've been turning their back on you a little bit, but, God, I pray that they would they'd turn back to you and realize that this is a principle that works, not just for financial resource, but for all of our resources, that, God, you, you do provide for us, and that your part you will always be faithful to, and that our part you ask us to simply be faithful as well. Just take a step of trust. Take a step of trust. Give, and it will be given to you. Press down. Shaken together, running over, will pour into your lap. God, you promised in the scripture that you will give us a harvest of righteousness. That one of the benefits of trusting you is that you give us a harvest of righteousness. That you give us blessing in our life in all the right ways. The ways that we know that maybe we don't even know we need, but you know we need. So God, today we celebrate you, we honor you, we worship you, and we thank you for providing for us. And God, thank you that when we don't think we have enough but God provides.